Welcome to The Doctor Diaries, a podcast which will take you behind the scenes of the intriguing medical world. Join me, Hanya Rothersby, an experienced business consultant in the medical sphere, as I chat to our guests who will take us through their insights, experiences and ideas as an expert, thought leader and trailblazer in this exciting medical world. Welcome to Dr. Diaries. Today we have the amazing Grazina Fechner, known affectionately to most of us as Grizz. Grizz is a professional media trained presenter and media expert with a successful history in sales and learning and development management roles. I've come across Grizz so many times on the platform, emceeing, leading workshops. She's an amazing person and we're so excited to have her and her energy today with us on the Dr. Diaries. Welcome, Grizz. Thank goodness you're recording that because I'm just going to use that intro for everywhere I go. I'm going to put it in my pocket. I'm going to every stage I attend, I'm going to press play for Hanya's intro because that is a really good intro. Hello. Thank you. The privilege, in fact, is all mine. Thank you for choosing me and listeners. Thanks for listening to what is going to be, you know, the best pocket card you've ever listened to. Can I say that? Oh, absolutely, because today's podcast is about you, but also the thing that everybody um, needs to know about in leadership, running their businesses, the people, the whole culture, the motivation. It's that stuff that I've got to be honest, working with a lot of doctor business owners, it's not something that comes naturally. As we know, we're not born with leadership skills. We're not. We are absolutely not. It was interesting. I was in Canberra during the week with Health Scope nurse unit managers, so NUMS, and they've not had any leadership training with strategy for three years and they've been at the forefront and all of a sudden we had them in a room, 29 of them, and we didn't even use the word COVID. We're like, you know what, we're not going to use it because that's happened, it's been, it's gone. How do we lead post because it's a brand new world to when they last led pre-COVID days. So, you know, this leadership space is for nurse unit managers, the leadership space is for anyone. And you don't even have to be a title of a leader to be a leader. Oh, I know. Well, let's explore that. Well, first, let's reverse back. See, let's just talk about everything. Let's about you first. Let's tell me how have you arrived here and... How do we get the amazing Grizz to be the amazing Grizz? Oh, my gosh. Well, I got here because I was in the pharmaceutical industry for many, many years and I went through, you know, we're really privileged in the pharmaceutical and healthcare space because we get lots of training. And I felt that training didn't work for my advantage. So when we talk a lot about the adult learning principles and how adults learn, training at school and training in workplaces is a one-way, one-directional training. You know, you get the 25 million PowerPoint slides, you learn the information out of the book, you have your exams before you can go and talk to doctors about products. And that's how it rolls. And I thought to myself after doing it for many years, I can do it better. And that's not about arrogance. It's just thinking, how do people learn that are like me that aren't textbook learners? I'm discussional learners. I'm hands-on, give it to me, let me try it, let me touch it, let me feel it. So I went out and started a business 17 years ago thinking, yes. I'll just try well, it. I forgot to say it in the intro, yeah. from learning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, anyway, that's Any how I got For anybody who wants to know, I'll oh, <laughs> <laughs> No, so I just went, let's do it differently and let's give it a go. And I thought, what's the worst that can happen? I end up back in pharma that I love anyway. So there was no lose to try it. And 17 years on, I'm standing here with my head held high going, it was the best decision I ever made because I'm back in pharma 
most days teaching and training, <laughs> but doing it my way. You know, we send people out and about mystery shopping. We make them go and listen in on conversations in cafes. We do really weird stuff to get to the same outcome. And I believe that adult learning is learning about life, love and everything in between. And if you can get someone, so when I say it's not just a program that's nine to five in your workplace, it's a life skill and everything we do is a life skill. And if you do it at home and you do it with your friends, then you'll take that habit to work and do it there as well. So that's how I sort of got here. Um, so yeah, a, a whole lot of learning, a whole lot of fun. And the keynote space I've sort of fell into. So I do media as well. And mm-hmm. I started doing keynotes from a media perspective with volunteer organisations. So if it was an Annie Council Council night, I'd go and volunteer and be an MC. And then people start to see me and before I knew it, I ended up being a keynote speaker and then an MC. So I'm not quite sure how I got there other than (laughs) give me a microphone because I really love it and I just love entertaining people on the stage. Well, you do that so well. I've um, I've got to say I've seen you many times over the years. I don't think I've seen the same Grizz twice. You just... (laughs) (laughs) The energy you bring to that room, um, I think your super skill is you've got the effervescence, effervescence, bubbliness, uh, the energy to draw people in, but when you've got them, you'll you'll get a message through just without them realise. So say recently I saw you at AB Council um, conference, you were on stage, it's all high energy, it's all fantastic. Then you talked about, you know, communication and there's, only communicate three things because people can only room. And it, I just went, that's what you do. You, you're in the middle of the high energy event. And then you say, oh, and I'm going to. Teach um, us something. Teach us something. Learn something. Because that's what yeah. I feel my value is, you know. And you get a scratchy for that. Hanya, I'm yes. going to send you some scratchies for remembering the rule of three. So, you know, all the way along, play along with us. You'll get scratchies. We'll send you scratchies. I um, and, I, and I think that's my thing is when people say MC, I, I feel like, I need to add value as my MC, not just introduce amazing guests, but also give them a bit of something to take away from me, not just the introductions and the thank yous, but the what can I bring to the stage that has them going, I've got all the knowledge from the guest speaker and I've got something from the MC as well. Yeah, oh, it's just fantastic. What I'd really be keen to explore, because a lot of our listeners are business owners and yeah. they're in a unique position where they wear three hats. They're the doctor, clinician, they that's are. what they're trying to do. Yeah. And running their own business, they have to be the manager. They do. In theory. And yeah. then they're also the entrepreneur. How am I going to grow this and um, get this business growing? So wh- what sort of tips do you have for these doctor business owners mm-hmm. in regards to getting the best out of their own business and develop their own leadership skills? Yeah. I think the first thing is don't be scared to ask something of someone. That's the biggest is is we fear, you know, we go into clinicians, we go to doctors, we go to nurses, and the people that choose to be in that profession care about people. So their mindset is, I don't want to sell or I don't want to ask a client to do something or a patient to do something. I'm just here to treat them. Mm. What I think they need to understand is in the world that we live in now, everything is so email savvy, is so technologically savvy, and we come to you as a clinic owner, for your advice, for your expert opinions. And what's been really interesting is on my journey, I've only started using skincare. Now, I've been in this industry uh, training in aesthetics for 15 years. <laughs> and I only started using skincare and taking my makeup off and wearing sunscreen nine months ago. I know. Oh. I know everyone, don't drop dead. Don't press, <laughs> You might need to press pause for a minute and grab a drink of water before you come back to this. 
it is true because I never saw the value. No one sold me the value. No one told me the value of taking off makeup before I went to bed. And I wear TV makeup often when I'm on telly. So it's that really thick, cakey stuff. And I've been blessed to have nice Polish skin. So (laughs) I wear my oil of Olay or my vitamin E and that does it because mum told me that's what you use. (laughs) So up until nine months ago, I kid you not, this is not a silly story. This is genuine no one said to me, everyone used to say, oh, your skin looked nice. And I'd be like, thanks, I'm wearing my vitamin E. But no one said, Grizz, what are you in fact doing? I'd never had a laser oh. in my life on my skin. I'd never put on, you know, one of those masks. I'd, and this is all honest. So my first thing for business owners, no matter whether you're a clinician, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a practice manager, don't not have the fear to ask someone something. Ask them about their skin. Ask them about themselves. Don't just assume they come in for injectables. And yeah. then they have skin care. We've seen the clinical trials saying injectables and skin care work best together. So that whole skin health, skin environment is really important. But I had injectables for years. I had some tox, like I'd spent my life in tox space, never had skin care, never taken off, never had a cleanser because I thought it might give me pimples. So I never did it until someone educated me and yes. told me about it. So that's my personal example of please, first thing, do not fear asking someone of something or something of someone. Yes, I totally agree. So I think um, working with the clients that we work with, one thing I, I notice, and I'm, I'm talking about them because I yes. think hopefully they're listening to this podcast yeah. going, what am I going to learn from Grizz and Hanya? Yeah. Yeah. They, I think they know something. One thing is, is when I'm working with them is they don't really understand their value proposition. And as you said, their value proposition is they have trained so hard. They finished top of year 12. They did. Got into uni, into yeah. the course did all these years of study and have come out the other end and they're so knowledgeable and when you've got patients coming to you they're looking to you to be the expert for the whole thing so I agree with you part of the way to grow your business or you know really take um uh make you know get the greatest benefits from your business is to not be afraid to ask but I think surround yourself with a system or infrastructure that will automate that asking the question and leave yourself for the expert bit of advice. Yes, yeah. And you make a really good point about questions, though. I think that we don't ask enough questions of our patients. I think we just go into our normal mode as opposed to stopping. And, you know, I I spoke about it at the conference the other day. I love the TED principle because that's how the police you was in. We often use it as journalists as well is tell me, explain to me and describe to me. Oh, now, I like that. What, yeah, so it's the TED principle and any police interview you go into. So, you know, if you are being a crook and you're listening now, I'm giving you some advice when you go into police. This is what they're going to ask you. Tell me more about that. Explain to me how you felt when you murdered that person <laughs> and describe to me the environment, like describe to me what happened. So we call it the TED principle and they are really simple questions that elicit a whole lot of information. And if we don't understand what excites people, drives them, motivates them, captivates them and delights them, we can't possibly talk to them about any treatment options. We can't possibly, even with the automated system of giving them professional advice, we can't give them professional advice if we don't know what advice they're looking for. So yeah. we really need to go back a step and ask a question. And if you ask something about someone, people love talking about themselves. So yeah. they will absolutely talk about themselves. And if you're scared about asking questions, the simple TED principle, tell me more about that. Explain to me what's happening with your daughter's wedding in 12 months time and where you want to get to. And describe to me how you're feeling. Describe to me how you want to look the best version of you. And let's get you to that place. 
So yeah. that active that's questioning and active listening, and and that's not to say I get really cranky when I walk into clinics and I do a lot of um, mystery shopping in clinics, mm. and I get quite cranky when people just have their list of five questions and they ask one after the other. Mm. And and that's what I love about you, Hanya, is today's not scripted. You haven't said, Grizz, these are the 10 questions I'm asking. What you've done is ask me a question, listen to learn, listen to engage and listen to understand, then ask me the next question on what I've just said. Correct. And I think that is the key to success is if you ask questions and and journalists do it all the time. And, and mm. I know that when I often leave a, a studio, the guest will say to me, I can't believe I gave you all that information, Grizz. You know, you tricked me. I said, no, I just listened to you and I asked a question that allowed you to answer from your heart and answer from the fire in your belly, you know, that passion and yeah. all of that stuff. So I think the more you can know about your clients and your patients, the better off you're going to be able to be and the more successful you'll be because you'll know where their journey is and how to get them there. And that's what brings success. Oh, I totally agree. And I, I think that's probably a leadership skill or a it's called active listening, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, again, this can be learnt. Do you know what I mean? So I think, as you say, often people listen uh, because they've got to get somewhere yes with active listening you've got to appreciate that it might go to the left or to the right but we're we're still going to get down to the end of the road so they may want that treatment but gathering all that information up front yes is really important i think the really important thing also in businesses is to um document or have that information for the next time you see that i think that's also sometimes something that doesn't really happen yeah, because that shows that when the client next comes in, if you know they've just had a birthday party or their daughter's turned 21 and just reminding them of that, it shows to them that you're listening and oh. listening instills trust and then trust means they're not going to go anywhere else for a cheaper price or a discount coupon or whatever it is. The minute you've got someone with trust, you've got them for life. And and you know how I buy all my scratches. So for listeners that don't know me, I, I take scratches with me everywhere. I'm like, I promote gambling. So try and stop me. But I have been going to my newsagent guy for 20 years when we first lived in Abbotsford in Sydney and he used to get my newspaper towers ready for my programs and my string and my balloons and my masking tape and all my stuff ready for me every week and I'd buy my scratchies. And what's interesting is, you know, 20 years on, I drive over two bridges now because I live in a different suburb, but I still go to him because he deserves my business. Mm. So if you build that foundation of trust and that foundation of willingness to learn and understand and engage and, and do right by somebody, they won't be going to the shop down the corner because it was just built and it's got fancy new carpet. They will stay with you because it becomes people buy an emotion and justify with the facts. So if you're emotionally connected to someone and that relationship is strong, they're not going to go anywhere else. I totally agree. I am. Um, I know even through when I had children earlier, yeah. Um, <laughs> when we had them way earlier, oh, you know, listen to us, listeners who haven't had children. Oh, don't, be put off by us. don't be put off by us. At twenty-seven, my daughter's still ringing me every day, wanting stuff. Oh, I've got this excellent <laughs> love it. Um, but actually, um, my obstetrician back then, I remember we used to go and see him, and every time we came to see him, he would say to my husband, "How was your trip to Chicago? You went on a business." I was like that, oh, I think he loves us the best out of all the patients. How would he possibly remember that? He's obviously taken notes. But he's taken notes. Smart him, right? Smart. It was so good. And the word of mouth referral for me for that particular obstetrician gynecologist was he knows you, he loves you, he's there for you. It was great too, but, you know, it's, it's those simple things. It is because they get to your heartstrings and you think, gosh, someone cares about me. And we all want to be cared about. Everyone's wearing a sign and it's in, it's – invisible so you're not really wearing one 
But I always say to people, everyone's wearing a sign, read the sign before you open your mouth. And the sign says, make me feel important. Mm-hmm. So if I meet anyone, I look at that sign, that pretend sign that says, make me feel important. And straight away, I'm then going to ask a question about them. How are you? How was your weekend? What did you get up to? Not, oh my God, the traffic was so bad. I can't believe I'm here and I'm five minutes late and I need a coffee. Like that doesn't make anyone feel important. What does is walking in and asking someone something about them. So just read that pretend sign and that will totally change your mindset in asking about them, not telling them about what's happened in your world. That is such a good tip. And actually, it's an excellent segue to the next bit. So as a business owner, one of your biggest challenges is your team. Culture, keeping people motivated. um, And for me, as a business person, a good benchmark when I'm working with businesses, one of the first things I look at is how long, have you got high staff turnover or have you got uh, long-term well-performing staff? Because from my perspective, high turnover costs a lot of money for a business. It's at least a a year and a half worth of wages lost for replacing someone, training them up, the loss of customer experience, those sorts of things. So it's a really false economy to hire cheaply and have people coming and going. So let's just say our aim is to have a well-established long-term staff, which these days, mind-blown, even harder because it's covid People don't want to stay anywhere, which is, that's fine. Tell me, what are your tips on, you know, and again, the clinic stuff, admin, clinical, other doctors, what's the secret? What's the secret, Chris? The secret is focus on the people and the numbers will come. That Mm. is my one line for everything. And I I, I get quite cranky because I often go into clinics and they say, we don't want to train our team and our staff because then our staff leave. So we spent money on training and they leave. And my theory is if we train them and we develop them, and we do nice things for them and we say thank you at the end of each day and we create dopamine in their brains, they want to come back time and time again and you will find that your staff won't leave because you care about them. And that is so simple. It sounds, and you're like, yeah, Grizzle, sure I do. But how often do you actually say to your staff on a Friday, thank you for working for us this week? How often do you send them just a card for no reason? How often do you buy a coffee in the morning and put it on their desk with a smiley face and say thanks for making me smile yesterday? You know, these are really simple things. I always say to people, sweat the small stuff. And yes. people are like, no, Grizz, don't worry about the small. The small stuff's the stuff that matters. Do you say hello in the morning when you walk into your team or do you walk in with your head down and go straight to your office because you've got a million things on, you've got to get the appointments opened and logged. The minute you walk in with that body language, people are fearing you already for the whole day. So it's all about you as your leader and in your clinic, driving and sustaining culture, which means having some fun out of work hours. It means collectively reminding your team that you value them. It means developing your team. Now, be that with you know, us Hannah, or, uh, or be that with anybody else, be that that you buy them a book to read, be that that they watch a TED talk every Monday morning at their whip around meeting, you, you spend 10 minutes on some amazing TED talk that motivates them and excites them and, and gets them ready for the day. If you instill dopamine into your team and you remind them of their value, they won't go anywhere else. Yes, it's a oh, very good tip. And I think, um, you know, you would know a lot about that. This sort of topic is different personality profiles so the doctor business owners typically are analytical they like um data stats um facts and just lots of diagnostics but interestingly they've got a a practice full of people who are probably more amiable and and they want to be their their um triggers or the things that um they like is um 
people knowing something about them, being asked how they ask and, um, you know, that interaction and feeling like they belong um, more. So I think there's a lot to be said in that sort of leadership, learning leadership space is understanding that if you want something from someone, you need to communicate in a way that's them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what we talk about, you know, behavior profiling, what's someone behavior like. And we don't need to talk about big disc tools, but if someone's more measured pace, then when you talk to them, be more measured pace. If they're faster paced, be more faster paced. And even the motivation, you, you made a really good point. And I know that I've got a team of people and they're all motivated by different things. Some people love the gift voucher at the end of the month when they've done a great job. One of my team members, she isn't fussed on recognition. She sits in the background and she just likes to do her thing. And I saw a parking ticket on her laptop the other day, just a parking ticket that she obviously got. And so I just took it and I paid it. And it was, you know, 86 bucks or something. And I just wrote to her and I said, um, this is just a thank you for the work you do. I noticed it was on your computer and I just wanted to pay it. Now, I would have spent 100 bucks on flowers. Yes. I could have paid. And for her, that motivation, it you know, in the big scheme of things, $86 to pay someone's parking ticket is just nothing, but it's not just about rah-rah. So you can't motivate your team the same way for every person because as you said, Hanya, they they all want different things. Some people want to yeah. chat, some don't. And as leaders, if you can work out in your team where your behaviour needs to change to suit that particular person and make the interaction personalised, that's when they're not going to go anywhere. You know, Penny's not going to go anywhere. Not that I just paid her parking ticket, but I think about her. I think, you know, she doesn't want the big trophy at the team dinner next week. That's not her. A parking ticket in the background is very her and that's what motivates her. That's such a good example, That having an understanding um, of that. I think um, working with a lot of my clients, they just don't have it in them. They can't see it. No, they can't. So I always say um, if you feel that you don't have a particular skill that would enhance or grow your business, it's a good idea to bring that talent in. Um, so... If I was a very um, analytical, um, data-driven, get-to-the-point person, how would you suggest perhaps um, you could sort of judge things around so you could get that touchy-feely thing happening consistently around yes. you? So I would I would probably ask them if I could come in and do a bit of coaching with them on behaviour style management and behaviour style leadership. So mm. there's so many tools out there and we have uh, a tool that we call the Big Bang and they're little cards and you profile yourself. So actually getting them to realise that even though they like to receive information a certain way and they like to deliver information in a certain way, that's not necessarily the way for others in their team. And when they can see it and when they understand the behaviour profiling, you know, we talk about behaviour, not personality, because behaviour is changeable. You choose to behave every way. When you walk into a pub, you choose to behave in that, you know, pub way maybe. When you're at home, you might become this dominant, I need to get the school lunches and we've got to get the permission slips signed and then I've got to do your reading and you've got to go to bed and so on. And then at work, we've got to be really this nice, beautiful, behaved person to deal with our patients and our clients. So it's understanding that behaviour is adaptable and you can choose to behave however you are. And when the analytical team's or people start to see that it's not just about the way they view things and the way the world is viewed according to them, they can then start to be open-minded because what you've got to remember is an analytical person might try to start asking a question like, how was your night last night? But their brain is telling them not to ask that question because they wouldn't want it asked of them. Mm -hmm. So straight away they go to think, oh, this feels awkward, so I'm not going to ask it because they're not going to want to tell me because it's something that the analytical person doesn't want to have a discussion about. So we have to change their brain to say, even though this feels uncomfortable for me, I wouldn't want it, but my team member really needs that for motivation and that's why they're not going to leave because I do genuinely care about them. 
Um, a really good example is I love to hug everybody. So I'm like a hugger. So when, when I meet you, I want to hug you. But in a training room, I walk as, as uh, my participants walk in, there's some people that I just know wouldn't want to hug. Now, imagine if I went up and I just hugged them. Like, you know, yeah. why wouldn't you want to hug from Grizz? Like, seriously, everyone wants a hug from me. Why I, want, I, I want a hug from Grizz. Exactly. I'm, I'm hugging them <laughs> virtually. But if I hug them, that whole rest of the day, every time I go near them or I walk towards them, they're going to have this angst about them. Of, oh, my gosh, she's going to want to hug me again. So mm. if we can understand how our behaviour affects others, mm. we can then make changes. So if you've got that, you know, accountant type of person that's facts and figures and data-driven and perfection, they've got to understand that that behaviour put on others may not be the best outcome for their clinic at, for that particular person. That person will leave because every time they see them, they just want facts and data and they can't even talk about a personal interaction. So it's really important that we get any type of behavior to understand that their way is not the only way to behave. There's no yeah. right or wrong, no better or worse, but some people are straight to the point. Some people are all fluff. So if you're dealing with someone that's all fluff, you need to just add a bit of zhuzh in your interaction. And yeah. if you're a person that's really, I just want it straight to the point and you've got a, a leader that's fluffy, as a leader, work out really quickly that they don't need the fluff. They just want the information and to be on their way. So I would get them to do some sort of training to understand different behavior types. Yeah, it's such a good tip. Mm -hmm. Um because it's it's all about the people. Um, interestingly, you know, uh, there's been a bit of um, change in people. Like, uh, so people are really important. They're the key. They're the marketing department. They're the admin. They're the clinical. They're, without people, there's no medical practice. Uh, mm -hmm. Essentially, I know we did telehealth and stuff like that, but I mean, essentially, you'd have to have people in a in a medical business. And things that I've seen change were. Um, again, not saying the word, the big C word, but COVID, um, people got this opportunity to work from home or away from, and were successful in it. Now coming back, um, I'm finding that um, the employees are a bit more demanding in their work-life balance. And then there's employers that are less flexible. So there's employers that still would like to maintain that traditional, you'll be here from eight till six and every day of the week and, um or you're coming to my city office and to be honest, it's so hard to get people to agree to and especially these uh, generations of. Don't uh, get me started. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so I know it, it's like literally a problem. I'm finding it. I'm trying to work with organisations. We're trying to, you know, develop the teams or get the teams to stay or attracting the right people. What is the secret moving forward post COVID to think differently about engaging people in your business? Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a great question. We're doing the same. You know, we're having pharmaceutical companies that say, if you come into work on a Wednesday, you can go and see the movie at Macquarie across the road and we'll pay for you to go and see a movie. Um, they've got the work drinks. They've got, and what, what we're finding is the last couple of months, I think naturally people are wanting to come back into work because they're starting to miss out. And the people that are staying at home are feeling like they're not part of the team anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a bit of perseverance at the moment is trying to work, but also the word compromise. Imagine that. Let's have a bit of compromise here. Let's give you a reason to want to want to be at work. And what's interesting with another company I'm working with in Brisbane at the moment is they made it mandatory that everyone came in on a Wednesday and a Thursday, mandatory. You all had to be in, but they'd all sit at their desk with their computers on with their headphones in and still not speak to people. So they're like, well, I could do this at home. I don't need to be here. So it was having events or having a training event on or, you know, having a staff lunch or what they've started doing and with a great idea is each week someone's got to bring a skill. So some people are Thai. So they're bringing in Thai cooking and how to make rice paper rolls and they spend time doing that. So learning about each other, 
working differently and people are saying get excited because next week I'm going to teach you how to play the guitar and we're all going to get little ukuleles and play the guitar. So, you know, in clinics, it's not like we're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of people. Mm. So the people that are there, we need to think differently and we need to find out their drivers. We talk about the what's in it for me. So Harvard Business University suggests that every single day we receive about 1,800 bits of information. From that, we perceive about 60 bits, which means at the time we think, that's great, I'm going to action that, I'm definitely going to do that, that's really good. The worst bit about this data is we only react to about 15 bits of information a day and that is by choice and we choose to react to that information because there's a what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. So as a clinic owner, as a clinician, what is in it for your team to want to want to be in clinic? What mm-hmm. is in it for your team to want to want to come back to this new working life where you're not at home with your slippers on every day, having your cups of tea and watching the midday movie? You know, what is it for people to get them back? And that might be different, again, that motivation, but giving them reason to come back and when they're in, making it a really warm place and and creating dopamine in it. And we know that, you know, dopamine is like that neon light in your sign, in your head that says, remember this moment in time. So when people come in, they feel loved, they feel cared for, they feel like they're of value being there. And that will make them, when they press that alarm the next day and think, I've got to go to work. Mm. If they think work was fun the day before or engaging or they enjoyed it, they'll want to go back. So it's going back to basics and it's slow and steady rings away. So if you just make people come in and you demand, they will resent as mm. opposed to let's, Let's find common ground. Let's collaborate and work out how we're going to do it. And then let's just give it a crack. Let's try it and it will evolve. And we're starting to see now in big corporate, people are in now more than they're not. Yeah, I agree. And all those strategies are really excellent. I I totally agree. Um, And also bringing people in. um, I know that um, other organisations I've worked with, if you're asking people, I think that asking people to come in and then there's no focus on that day, well, why? Why yes. did you make it's like a school like a school teacher saying yes. what I told you? But we say no, no. The billings and people are all going to make sure they're in on the same day, or this person, or the surgical bookings, or the people who are following up patients. Then it's a, a focus or a project based for that day. Yeah, yes, I I so it's thinking differently. It is, and we do like we can't we can't keep saying well before you know three years ago this is how it was because the world has significantly changed and if we keep on wanting to go back there we'll never move forward and people won't stay around we've got to find reason and you know whether we want to or don't it's a fact mm. you know, we might just say we shouldn't have to because years ago people would and I mean you look at the generations now and people are happy to change jobs every three months if they want for a better salary or work life conditions so we've got to become a bit more savvy if they're the talent we want to attract and. We have to remember that the talent is not like when we grew up where we stayed with a job our whole life. We were so grateful and privileged to be there. We paid off our mortgage because people don't even want mortgages anymore. They're like, Mm -hmm. I don't care about that. That's not in their foresight. So they don't have to stay for a job to pay their mortgage. They can do OnlyFans on Instagram. I don't even But they're making so much money. So they're like, I can make $10,000 down OnlyFans. Why would I go into a clinic and do this? So we've got to think differently if we want to attract talent. And, you know, us oldies are going to be out of the workforce yeah. sometimes. So we have to work out better ways. And it might be, you know, having experts to come in and help them work through that. Yeah, I totally agree. There's so many experts like us, hey. I was going to say <laughs> between you and me, we've got it all. We're having everyone back in business trying to call one three hundred Hanya Grizz. No, no. And we do only fans on the side. No, we don't. <laughs> I, I tried, my account failed. No, <laughs> I just couldn't get my angles right. I'm like, oh, <laughs> me either. This is how they do it. <laughs> How did they do it? Oh, wow. Um, Oh, that's fantastic. What I'd love to hear is um, 
about a client um, that you've had the most, you know, you can think back and go, wow, we did this and there was such a great outcome. And is there a learning that we can all take from that? Yeah, absolutely. So I've got uh, a number of them, but probably one of the ones that stands out was uh, a client, Bay Audiology. So they're hearing, they're now Amplifon. We've been working with Amplifon. So we do a lot of um, audiology training and have done for many years. And our first gig was Amplifon New Zealand, or it was Bay Audiology as it was back then. Mm. Um, And we went over there on Christmas Eve, flights were ridiculous. And we went to pitch our program. And my business partner's like, Grizz, I'm not going Christmas Eve. I'm like, no, it's an opportunity. Let's go. So we spent a huge amount of money. Anyway, we run the we won the gig of audiology clinic training. Now, as we know, audiologists do not like to sell hearing aids at $10,000 a pop. And what we found initially was no one, everyone was just so sales reluctant. I am not doing this. This isn't my job. I do the hearing tests and blah, blah, blah. And we said to them, the worst bit though, is if you don't explain to somebody why they're spending $10,000 or you're not listening to them and active questioning and all of that sort of stuff, it won't work. Anyway, within six months of us doing this training, and we didn't call it sales training, we called it communication, like how to talk to anyone in the world. Uh, And what we found was their hearing aids went up by 78% in sales and they made an absolute mozza that year, but it was purely the way we positioned it. So we went into this and they'd never sold hearing aids. Well, they didn't sell if people wanted them, they got them great, but it all became around diminishing language. I think this might be the right one for you. Maybe this might be right. As opposed to saying, from what you've told us, you love listening to the TV and you can't hear married at first sight you know, on an evening and you can't go to the pub and watch your favourite football game because you can't hear anything and you get frustrated and your wife and you fight all the time. Well, with those things in mind, these hearing aids are going to be able to get you to watch the television at the pub with the background noise. You'll definitely be able to hear maths first sight, you know, on the couch on your psychology night. And you'll also be able to not fight with your wife anymore. So changing the way of the language of the stories that they told and storytelling became a huge part of it. And all of a sudden people were really happy and they wanted to part with their $10,000 because they saw the value. Yes. And I think that as audiologists, they go into learn to uni, then they didn't know how to communicate. And it's similar with a lot of clinicians. They spend, they're so smart, as you said early on, they come into clinic and they do their thing that they're meant to do, but they forget the whole communication piece. So I think that that story in itself was all of a sudden it went gangbusters and we just changed the way and the focus and we didn't use the word sales and really simple things mm. that had a really different output. So that would probably be one of the success stories is thinking about the way you communicate to people. Oh, it's and that's such a good example. And I think that's the key. So working with a lot of um, clinic owners and medical practitioners, um, they walk at that whole sales customer mm. uh, things. But I really like the way you're saying it's, communication to them and it isn't that you're trying to sell them something you're trying to improve the quality of their health or their life for what they came to you for in the first place that's right we come to you for stuff so please educate us on the stuff that we want to come to you for and tell us what's an option like that i should wear skincare Uh, tell me because i want to know what was interesting was i was in a consult the other day doing some coaching so i do i coach some doctors uh in consults this particular um surgeon he uh, came in and it was a right shoulder that needed fixing and he went through the whole spiel and he just told, this is what's happening, this is what's happening, this is what's happening. And then after he'd done the whole thing, he then put his arms behind his head. I'm sorry, you can't see me visually, but I'm putting my arms behind my head. Sat back in his chair and he said, right, so now we've got new questions as opposed to all he did was tell the guy. The worst bit of this whole situation though, and this is what made me quite upset, was we walked out and he said, patient's going to surgery next Tuesday on shoulder. And then he's like to the patient, oh, is it your right or your left shoulder? Now, I just, I wanted to 
I, I wanted to hit him and I don't want to hit many people. I'm not really violent unless you put me over the edge and that put me over. The fact that this clinician, uh, surgeon, walked out and said, we've got to book his shoulder in, but I, I asked the patient what shoulder it was again. Now, that is just appalling. <sighs> and it goes back to basic communication. Listen to learn, listen to understand. And even if you just said shoulder booking and then go away, look back at your notes if you've not listened because you didn't care about listening to anything the patient said, all you cared about was what you had to say put your hands behind your head and then said any questions at the end. Okay, great. Let's go and book in this surgery. Just stop for a minute. Take time to understand the patient. And it's all about communication. Oh, my goodness. Grace, uh, what you've just described there, I think myself and many listeners have, can picture that happening. Like it's all ha- happened to us all. all the time. And it's too common and happens mm-hmm. too often. Um, and I, it, it is the simple things, you know, the greet your patient. I'm rolling my eyes now. <laughs> I know. Talk to them as if rather than to the secretary, talk to the patient and say, oh, well, I'm handing you over to the beautiful Grace yes. who will organise yes. your opera. Thank you, doctor. Oh, my goodness. Just the simplest things. It makes such a difference. And even hellowing, 15 to 30 seconds is all you've got for someone to decide if they want to listen to you or not. So the importance of, you know, do you pick up the patient file and start walking while the patient's running after you? (laughs) Stop and walk with them. Like, you know, as we said, honey, it's the small thing. Look, see, now I'm getting frustrated. You can probably hear my voice and turn around (laughs) because it makes me furious. That's a big, strong word. I just think it's just be kind to people. And if you're kind to people, all of this stuff will fall into place and happen and you'll be really successful. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. Well, Chris, I'm coming to the um, part of my podcast I like to call Rapid Fire Questions. Oh, oh, oh what gosh. About? I love this. Chris, trivia. We need some more scratches. <laughs> <laughs> I need scratches. I know anything that was virtual gambling you could do with me. <laughs> and I, we all fall for it. When I see you at the conference, I go, I wish I could. Imagine if I got a million dollars. Okay. <laughs> I wish you would. I'd feel great if you did. Oh, I'm like you. I'd be happy for others. It would be fantastic. So, Grizz, your first rapid-fire question, here it comes. What business decision did you make that if you had your time again you would handle differently? Um, I probably would organise my business before I left my company and opened up my computer on day one with nothing. I would I would have a plan. I didn't have a plan. I literally left with a business partner and we opened up our computer on day one and went, right, now what are we going to do? Oh. Have a business plan. <laughs> That's good. You music to my ears. That's yep. right. Yep. Business plan required. Great. Yep. Who inspires you, Grizz? Who inspires me? Do you know who inspires me is my family. My husband um, is amazing. He's been in the Air Force and the Police Force and sends people keeps them safe off the harbour bridge when they want to jump and do all that stuff and his passion for everything he inspires me um i love a lot of ted talk different ted talks that i I listen to there's a lot of people amy cuddy inspires me about body language like there's so a lot of different people inspire me but mainly my family like my my daughter living life as it is now i look at them both and i'm inspired every day to just be the best version of me for them oh that's beautiful bad answer really relate that's just beautiful perfect now let's go to the final question. What are some words of wisdom to the younger Grizz? Oh gosh. Um, what are some words of wisdom to the younger Grizz? That's a really good one. Is back yourself in. Uh, I, I've got blonde hair and I don't think I'm very smart. And I always, when I was younger, not younger, but even a few years ago, would think I'm not worthy of being on this stage. And still to this stage, you know, when people ask me my charges. I don't charge a lot of money and people get quite cranky with me, including my business partner, because <laughs> I don't think I'm worthy of the dollar figure. 
So wise words even to me today, not even back in the younger Gridges, mm. you know, Grizz, back yourself in because you are good at what you do. And I don't say that because I don't want to sound arrogant or be this tall poppy syndrome. Um, and and I think I talk to myself every day like I talk to someone I love. I use that as my mantra is every day I say, Grizz, how do you talk to someone you love? And if I'm not doing that to me, then I'm doing a big mistake. So years ago, I wouldn't talk to my, I'd always put myself down. Whereas now I talk to myself like I talk to someone that I love. Oh, that's such good advice. And it's true that lumen imposter syndrome, I mean, women are <laughs> especially okay. suffer from it. But uh, no. Especially because we look so hot and sexy, right? Like we're I like, we, can't, we couldn't have brains when we're looking this fancy. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, that's an excellent, excellent negotiation tool because you constantly underestimate it. It's the best. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Chris, thanks so much for your time today. I can't believe Oh, my gosh. Are we over already? Because I've got a lot more to say. I know we are over, but I have got so much more. I'm coming back for Diaries Part 2, Dr. Diaries. No, I will have a second one. I would (laughs) love that. Dr. Diaries. So, Chris, you've heard it here, everybody. Chris is coming back, Dr. Diaries Part 2. No, and um, I love it because, look, running your business or seeing patients and all that, you know, this sort of stuff is the key stuff that people just want to know and want more about. So thanks so much. And we'll have all your details in the episode notes, everything about Grizz, super duper. You are an inspiration. We collectively are. And it's been a privilege for uh, being here. So thank you for choosing me to be on Dr. Diaries. I've loved it. And I'm definitely coming back. I love a chat. You know that. I love it. I love it. Thanks Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Doctor Diaries. You can find out more about our amazing guests on our website, hanyaroversby.com.au or join our Instagram page, Doctor Diaries Podcast, to find out more about our podcasts. We look forward to you joining us again.